the big headline since the last time we talked and the big headline going forward right now is going to be the signing of Dylan Brooks, four years, 80 million uh, sign and trade deal, obviously with the Memphis Grizzlies that is going to send Josh Christopher to, uh, to the Grizzlies. Uh, of course, you got a couple of other signings that were pretty important. Jock Landale and Jeff Green adding some depth at center. And so we're going to start here, though, with Dylan Brooks. I feel like this was the controversial one. This is the one that you and I have talked about on the podcast and in other places that we've been asked to appear. And look, we acknowledge that Dylan Brooks is a plus defender and has had some some positive moments and has contributed to winning in the NBA with the Memphis Grizzlies. But this was one where I don't know if you and I, you or I were a huge fan or proponent of the idea of Dylan Brooks coming in here, but we acknowledged that he was a target for Rafael Stone, M.A. Udoka, and the Houston Rockets. And that's one thing I'll say before I kick it over to you is that it was very clear the guys that they targeted. It was very clear what their wish list was, at least the top of it. And they went after it and it looks like they got two out of the top three, I would say, in getting Fred Van Bleet and then signing or, or going to sign Dylan Brooks. Obviously, they lose out on Brooke Lopez going back to the Milwaukee Bucks, which makes a, a lot more sense for him, a ton of more sense for him. You see why Fred Van Vliet would come here um, for the extra money. You see why Dylan Brooks would come here not being welcome back where he came from. But Brooke Lopez certainly going back to a championship contender, but – what is your reaction to this Dylan Brooks signing, man? Um, the money obviously is a lot, and I think that's the one. You know, I, none of us are surprised that it happened. Both of us, like you said, we weren't exactly in favor of it, and I, I still haven't changed my stance on that. I still would not have. That's not somebody that I would have looked to bring in. I think, but I don't know what the alternatives were if they felt like there were any better alternatives. Um, and the contract, while on the surface, four years, eighty, that's high. But the way that it's structured, and we don't know exactly how it's structured yet at this point, uh, but the fact that it's going to descend in value every year, I think that's important. I think that's a really important part of this contract where uh, you front load it and then um, the financial hit isn't nearly as much in the years moving forward, which um, means it takes up less of the cap uh, in the years to come, or it makes it a little bit easier to trade. So defensively, they improved a lot. Um, over the last couple of days, and that was important. They have been one of the, if not the worst defensive team in the league. Um, Brooks is a shooter. Uh, he's obviously, it hasn't been very good, but I, I think there are reasons to think that it could get better. Um, he's kind of taken a dip from three-point range the last couple of years, and it's kind of gone up as he's attempted more shots. So maybe if he's not shooting nearly as much, he can get that up. And also, He's, I, I think the number from the left corner, he's like 38%, but from the right corner, he's below 20%. It's something like that. Like for, for whatever reason, from one corner, he's awful. From the other corner, he's fine. So th there are certain areas of the floor uh, from behind three-point range where he's actually league average. But from the corners, that's where he just hasn't been nearly as good, at least from the one corner. So um, all in all, the roster is is somewhat coming together. Uh, I think that when you look at it now, I, and this might be something that we'll get into in a minute, but um, your starters appear to be Van Vliet, Green, Brooks starting at the three. 
Uh, and then you have Jabari Smith Jr. And then one of the centers, in all likelihood, it would be Chingun at this point. But you're seeing a rotation come together. And it's obviously going to be very different from how they closed out last season. And when you look at the record and they went 22 and 60, it's probably a good thing that they're going to be considerably different moving forward. So I, I think all in all, um, from a, a talent standpoint, they are better with Dylan Brooks. Um, the contract isn't as bad as maybe four years in 80 million would look, but it still, it's not maybe the move that I would have made, but I don't know. Did they have any better options? You know, when you look at the landscape out there, was there any other move that they could make? And I guess this is probably, you know, getting Van Vliet and getting Brooks to go with them. I think that's probably the best that they could have hoped for. Yeah. Adam, the way I would describe it is like, like for me, I would say, you know, if you came to me and said, going into this free agency period, the Rockets have 60 plus million dollars in cap space and the best players that they're going to get out of there, the best players at the top end here are going to be Fred Van Bleet and Dylan Brooks, and they're going to pay them an absorbent amount of money. They're going to pay Fred Van Bleet over $40 million a year, and they're going to, they're going to pay Dylan Brooks over $20 million a year. And you said, hey, that's what they're going to do with their cap space. Those are going to be the two best players that the Rockets are going to get out of free agency. How do you feel about that? I would have been underwhelmed. I would have been underwhelmed by that by that prospect, and I'm underwhelmed by it now. But even with that, as, as underwhelming as it seems and as it feels to say that that's the best, the two best players that you're coming away with out of free agency, it's also hard not to acknowledge that this team is demonstrably better. It is a it is a better basketball team, and it, it's important, I, I think, at least to not get so caught up in, you know, how wild are you? How impressed are you by the guys that they signed as opposed to saying how much better did they get with what they had, with the opportunity that was in front of them? And we talked about this not being an ideal free agent class. There wasn't going to be a name really out there other than the one that was most controversial maybe or, or the two that were most controversial and James Harden and Kyrie Irving, and that would have come with a lot of noise, both of them. But for the most part, this just wasn't a, a super talented free agent class. Meanwhile, the Rockets had a whole bunch of money to spend yeah. and, and, and very much needed to spend it, not just because they needed to spend it, but because they actually needed to get better. And they needed to spend the money. They needed to make their team better. Like So all these things had to come together. And so it's underwhelming overall when you think about paying this much money to those guys. But when you lay out that starting five that you just did, Fred Van Vliet, Jalen Green, Dylan Brooks, and then the young guys, two other young guys, and Jabari Smith Jr. and Alperen Shingun, it's not that bad. It's, and it's a better one than, than the one that you wrote out last year. And it's one that you can work with. I feel like a lot of the Rockets' improvement and the Rockets, I guess, how, how good they can be and how soon they can be that good, it depends a lot on Jalen Green's development, and it's not going to all be there in year three. You just want him to take a significant step from year two to year three. But that's clearly like the 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 player that a lot of fans want to get in free agency, I feel like is the player that the Rockets view Jalen Green as already. And so it's really kind of up to him to become that. But I, I wanted to – I'm just going to point out here on, on Dylan Brooks's three-point shooting – and you mentioned those those are really odd numbers about shooting better in one corner and not the other. Uh, I don't know if that's like a sight issue or what's going on exactly there, but I mean, obviously it's the same distance, so it's just an odd thought. 
but maybe a right left thing you know he's yeah, right yeah yeah it could yeah it could be a site right left yeah it, it could just be a comfort thing but he was 37 and a half percent from three in his second season in the nba that was 2018 2019. it went down to 35.8 so from 37 and a half percent to 35.8 percent the next season then the season after that actually the next three seasons after that or since then it's been 33 percent uh cumulatively of the last over the last three seasons and then the last two postseasons it's been 30.7 percent so it's like you're looking at you're like man this is going because i can remember a time now and it's reading these stats off it's like okay I feel like I remember a time where Dylan Brooks actually did shoot the ball fairly well or like decently, or at least where I didn't view him as a negative shooter or a guy where I'm like, Hey, don't shoot the ball or don't shoot. And then that kind of developed over time. But over the last couple of years, the issue with Dylan Brooks, and this is kind of just my thing. It's just like the level of awareness, self-awareness, you know, like does he think more highly of himself than perhaps he should. And that's not, that's not to take a shot at the guy personally, other than just to say that, he was on a team where he wasn't the main guy, but it was a winning team where he felt like he was entitled to a certain number of shots and a certain kind of quality of shots that I wouldn't call high quality. And I'm really concerned about the idea of him going from a team like that, that was competing that he was helping win feeling like he had sort of this entitlement to certain shots to come to this team. That's rebuilding. That doesn't really have that many established players on it aside from Fred Van Vliet, you know, and, and Jalen Green obviously is the future of the franchise, but, you know, he's a kid, third, third year player, still hasn't proven much. So I'm, I'm just a little bit worried about Brooks's overall influence on the team, even if I can acknowledge that he makes them better defensively. Uh, on the three point shooting, um, the 37 and a half points, the 37 and a half uh, percent that you mentioned, that was on 2.2 attempts. Now, what's encouraging about his three point shooting, though, is that next year, um, he goes from 2.2 attempts per game to 5.6. And that first year with, at 5.6, he was at 35.8. I mean, you will gladly take 35.8% from three on almost six attempts. Like that's, that's, I think that is what they have to be hoping that they can get back to because um, that's, that's a high, that's a high number of shots per game and the percentage is fine. So if you can somehow get back to that and not the, um 30.9 and 32.6 of the last couple of years then it's okay the problem the problem with him it's just the shot selection it's not necessarily that he takes a lot of them there's a lot of listen there's a lot of Marcus Smart uh and you know I think it's interesting that Ime Udoka coached Marcus Smart for all those years in Boston and he gets somebody who's very similar just a little bit bigger in essence than Marcus Smart uh not 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 a point guard um but it's just the shot selection of, hey, I'm just going to come down and fire this up with 18 left on the shot clock. That's the kind of shot that that hurts them. That's the kind of shot that they really need to avoid with him. And if he can avoid that shot and be a catch and shoot guy and, hey, you can get to the paint every now and then and maybe draw some fouls. If you can have that to go with the defense, then, hey, this is, the signing's fine. The signing works out. Um, the problem is if he tries to do everything and – you know, you look at the playoff numbers. Um, he, let's see, a, a last season, he attempted 4.7 three-pointers during the regular season. In the playoffs, that number went up to six and a half. This season, he attempted six three-pointers in the regular season. Um, in the playoffs, that went up to seven. 
So his three-point shooting should not be, you know, his attempts, you don't want them going up in the playoffs compared to the regular season. That means he's trying to do too much of it. And that seven, um, that that comes in a uh, in a playoff series where he got ejected in one of the games. So that's how often he was shooting, is that he attempted seven a game, and that when and that comes when he got ejected in one of those games. So he just needs to if he can rein it in a little bit and play within like the structure of the offense then he has a chance to be really good. There's also one other troubling thing. I don't even know if troubling is the right word, but he's, you know, he's six, seven, like he's, he's, he's a good size player and that helps him defensively to where he can guard pretty much everyone, at least one through four, if not one through five, he doesn't rebound. And that was the one thing I'm just looking through the numbers and his rebounds per game. It's like three, you need a little bit more rebounding from that position, especially if you're going to be like six, seven, like that was, you know, of all the things that Trevor Ariza did well, a lot of the things that kind of got overlooked with, with him was the rebound. Like he would come in and sneak in and take some rebounds. And how do you finish a possession defensively? It's not just about holding a team to a bad shot or contesting a shot. You actually have to get the rebound. That's how you end the possession. And so they're going to need him to rebound a little bit more because you look at the guys that they have on the team Alperin Shengun's not a real good defensive rebounder. Jabari Smith Jr. was, I think, better than I thought he would be, especially when you consider how slight he is. Um, so that's that's a positive. But then the guards, I don't really consider Jalen Green to be much of a rebounder. Fred Van Vliet's a little small to be, you know, impactful as a defensive rebounder. So they're going to need Dylan Brooks to, like, get after it on the boards a little bit, a little, at least a little bit more than what he did in Memphis. Yeah, no, for sure. And also, I would just point – and maybe this is less important than what you're talking about. Like they just flat out need him to rebound because of the things that you mentioned about the rest of the personnel. But on Dylan Brooks specifically, just from a from an on brand standpoint, a lot of people talk about how Dylan Brooks is going to bring an edge. Right. You know, can I, can I interrupt you really quick? Go I'm ahead, sorry. I'm just I'm looking at this right now. Um, Jalen Green, Fred Van Vliet, and Dylan Brooks, who averaged the fewest number of rebounds between the three. Jalen Green, Jalen Green, Dylan Brooks, and who? Fred Van Vliet, who, who, who averaged the fewest rebounds of the three. I'm going to say that Fred Van Vliet averaged the most and that Dylan Brooks averaged the fewest. You are you are correct on both. Yeah. So it, yeah. It is a, it, it's not great that your 6'7 wing rebounds at a lower rate than your 6'1 point guard. So I, that's, yeah. that's one of the things that, that I'm going to be looking at as this thing moves forward. Uh Dylan Brooks is going to have to rebound like that. That's just all there is to it. Well, and what I was saying is, though, especially if what he's supposed to be bringing you is edge and toughness and all of that, like getting it, getting after it on the boards, I feel like is a part of that. Like anybody that's ever been classified or categorized as scrappy or edgy or like you know, some level of badass or whatever was like more than likely a rebounder. And most defensive guys also get after it on the board so that's also a little odd to me that that's two things about dylan brooks that are that are odd but also probably fixable like there's nothing in his profile or his game that would suggest that he can't rebound or that he can't fix whatever issues he has with the corner three so i, I will say that for him that I, I do feel like it's in there they just gotta they just gotta figure it out but overall uh, you know Team gets better. Let me ask you this, though, before we get on over to some next topics on, on Dylan Brooks, what it does with the starting line. Another 
Another reason why I didn't necessarily need Dylan Brooks was because, you know, or didn't feel like the Rockets needed Dylan Brooks. And again, we just acknowledged that he makes them better defensively. But it was because I thought that they had pretty good wings. I thought they had wings that they could work with, even if, you know, you can acknowledge that Dylan Brooks brings something that maybe those guys don't bring. But the two signings now, we talked about Fred Van Vliet. The previous episode, we talked about what that does with KPJ, how that moves him off the ball. But now what this certainly does between signing Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks is it moves KPJ off the ball and probably specifically to the bench because it's not like you're just going to plug him in at one of the wings and say that that's his role, that he's just going to be straight up catch and shoot. So how do you feel like kind of revisiting the same question that we did in the last episode now that Dylan Brooks is uh, reportedly going to sign with the Rockets? What do you see the 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 net impact being on KPJ after both of these moves? Is he is he the point guard of the second unit? Is that Amon Thompson and he's moving off and he's playing more off the ball? How do you see that playing out with KPJ? If he's on the team still, I, I think it's only going to help him. I, I really do. I really think if he embraces the role, then he's got a chance to be an elite bench guy. Just running the second unit. He could be elite at that and he could coexist on the wing if you need him in crunch time. You know, I could, he could easily share the floor with Van Vliet and green. If that's how they want to do it, he can, he can lead the second unit. I think that for him, the possibilities really are endless. And I don't know how much Amin Thompson's going to play in year one. And I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. Uh, I think that he now has the, you know, kind of the benefit of getting to sit back a little bit and, adjust to NBA life, which as we, and I'm sure the players that are already on the roster will tell him it's not that easy. Like it's not that easy to just come in right away and contribute right away to a team. And uh, you look at the Rockets have, have just uh, handed starters minutes to two top five picks the last two years. And it was not great, especially early on Jalen green really struggled that first half of his rookie season. Jabari Smith jr. Really struggled that first half of his rookie season. Uh, they both improved significantly as that season went along, but there were some serious growing pains and it's tough on the team because these are guys who, who basically are having to play. It's hurting the team in the process. So the team is losing games. So it, now you have it to where you don't really need a men Thompson to play right away. So that's good for the team because it, it rarely does a top five pick come in, especially a, a top five pick who is coming in from a, a lower level league, like overtime elite and like, to think that he would come in and be able to play at a replacement level from day one, it, it's it's difficult to see that. So you take a lot of the pressure off of him. He can come in in spurts. Um, he can basically be depth right now, understanding that he's a huge part of your future. So I, I think for Kevin Porter Jr., this only works out for him. Uh, for Amen Thompson, I think that this just takes a lot of the pressure off of him and he can just kind of sit back and learn. And one thing on Porter um, cause this is not something that we've really talked about. Cause I was just looking at it today. Um, there, he, this is a big season for him because of the way that his contract is structured. Now the next season for him is guaranteed. That is the only year it was what a four year, $64 million contract, whatever it was. That is the only year. The first year is the only one that's guaranteed. So he's got three years that right now are unguaranteed now because he was on the roster June 30th or whatever the date was, or July, it was July 1st. That was the date where it triggered. He is now guaranteed $1 million for the final three years of that deal. If he's on the roster opening day, that number goes up to three. It goes up to six 
if he's on the um, five days after the trade deadline. Now, the big day for him is June 30th, 2024, because not only does his salary for the 2024-25 season become guaranteed, but the salary for the next season becomes guaranteed that day as well. So he needs to. So this is a big year for him because not only does he does he have to try and guarantee himself that contract for 24-25, but also 25-26. And then the next year, that's when 26-27 uh, kicks in. So there's a there's a lot of motivation for him to make this work because just of what he has to lose. Man, that that's interesting. So it's it's like, you know, you and I were having a conversation the other day of how is Kevin Porter Jr. going to respond to this? What's going to be the impact on him? Just sort of like, what's his response going to be? And when you lay out the contract like that, it kind of tells you that he the only way that he can respond is motivated. And I wouldn't say deferential, but more so like willing and ready to do whatever the team asks him to do. You know, like he can't be, you know, sour about it and can't have an attitude. I'm not saying that he would. I have no idea how he feels about anything. I'm just saying that however he feels, the attitude and approach approach that he needs to take needs to be one of doing whatever is best for the team, as cliche as that sounds. But you got to come in now. Now that the team has made all of these win-now moves, quote-unquote, you have to come in and be ready to do whatever it is, whatever it takes to help the team win. And so if that means leading the second unit, whatever the hell that means, that's what you got to be willing to do if you want for that precious date, what was it again? June 30th, 2024. Yeah. June 30th, 2024. That's when the salary for the 2024, 25 season and 2025, 2026 season become guaranteed or they can just wave them and that's it. And he doesn't get, not only does he not get the money for, he he would only get 6 million um, for, the 2024, 2025 season. And then he gets nothing for 25, 26, nothing for 26, 27. So like there, listen, like I said, and and I've said this, I've I've kind of been, I've said this really now for a while. I think this only helps him moving forward. I think this is going to make him such a better player moving forward. A, taking some of the pressure off, B, getting him on the floor against second units and then getting the ball out of his hands sometimes in crunch time to where probably his greatest strength has been as a catch and shoot guy. Now he can actually do that. Now they actually have somebody who is worthy of having the ball in his hands and creating shots for him. So I think, and I don't know how he's going to handle it. You know, we have not, shoot, we haven't talked to him since uh, the end of last season. And Cody Davis kind of brought up to him about playing off the ball. And he wasn't exactly pumped about the idea. Uh, I would be curious to know, because um, he's been, you know, he's been around, you know, he was with, he was at the Udoka press conference uh, when he was introduced. Um, he was with them in Chicago during the combine. So I imagine that they've kind of kept him up to date about what they were looking to do this off season. So I would imagine that he was prepared for, for the move that they were going to make and understanding that they were going to go after a point guard. Um, but hopefully that they've been able to kind of convey to him that this is only upside for him. This is only going to help him moving forward. Now it's just a matter of a, if he's going to listen and B, is he going to take this the right way? I, I I would hope that he does. He's really, you know, for for all the negative attention that he's gotten, so much of it has been unwarranted. Like he really has been, I mean, he's been there. He was their best player last year. He was their best yeah. player. He was their most most consistent player last year. Um, 
there's no reason to think that he won't take this the right way. And there's no reason to think that he won't, um, you know, get that understanding that this is only going to help him, but you don't know until you see it. And we won't know until we actually get to talk to the guy and who knows when that's going to be. Yeah. I'll speak for myself. Just say personally, I'm just as excited and intrigued about the Rockets' second unit as I am the starting five that you projected that you put out there earlier. So we're thinking Fred Van Bleet, Jalen Green, Dylan Brooks, Jabari Smith, and Alperen Shingoon. And I think a lot of how good the Rockets are. Like we know, I feel like we have a pretty good sense of what to expect from Fred Van Bleet and Dylan Brooks. We know what their player profile is. We know what those guys are. And so that's why we're able to so confidently say that adding them, inserting them into your starting lineup makes it a better team, makes it a better starting lineup. What the the difference is, is what step do those other three take, those young guys, which we obviously, uh, you know, do not know yet. We, do, we have no idea what the progression is going to be from year two to year three and from year one to year two for Jabari Smith specifically. But between the three of them, being Green, Smith, and Shingun, I mean, those are the guys that you're hoping take, you know, as as much of a leap as they possibly can, and, and we'll see. But for me, you mentioned KPJ. We're talking about KPJ and him possibly leading the second unit. And then when you add that with the rookies that they drafted, and we talked about that, we don't know how much that those guys are going to play, but they're on the team. They're on the bench, and I'm hoping that they at least play some. You know, I'd, I'd love to see them get some run. Uh, you know, Cam Whitmore and Amon Thompson, we'll see what their roles are going to be. But you got KPJ going from being your best player on your team, leading your first unit to being just the best player on your bench and leading your bench. That is significant to me. Even if you're underwhelmed, like I am a little bit underwhelmed by the starting lineup, the depth of it to me is is a pretty good upgrade.